0: This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. We are back. Happy New Year, everyone. Hope you all had a uh, nice holiday. I enjoyed the two weeks off, completely zoned out. But uh, I'm back, ready to do the news with you, Sam. How was your New Year? It was fine. It was good. I did not stay up
1: until midnight again, and it's better that way. <laughs> you didn't make it
0: to midnight, huh? No. Did you? I did. I did. And I was actually happy I did. I um, I had a very normy New Year's and watched uh, CNN New Year's coverage with <laughs> uh, Anderson Cooper. And um, because it's really... It's probably some of the most debaucherous programming of the year because nothing, nothing on television encourages drinking alcohol more than the CNN New Year's special, which is all about all the anchors getting as drunk as possible throughout. Um, And it featured what I think was the best two minutes of television. I think it was just after New Year's. So the best two minutes of television of 2021 so far (laughs) in which uh, who's, who's it? Andy Cohen uh, was just asking Snoop Dogg all the places he's gotten high he smoked <laughs> weed at. <laughs> and pretty much every single place that was mentioned, Snoop Dogg was like, yes, I've gotten high there. I've smoked weed there. At the White House, yes, I've smoked weed at the White House. At a bar mitzvah, I, pro- yes, I've smoked weed at a bar mitzvah. At a bris, yes, I've smoked weed at a bris. <laughs> probably be easier for Snoop Dogg to
1: list the places that he hasn't smoked weed. I remember a few few days, a few years ago he was, um, I don't know if this is the time that he's counting, he probably also smoked on the grounds of the White House but I remember a few years ago he um, tweeted or posted a video on Instagram of him being in Lafayette Square Park across from the White House hitting a blunt and uh people were just oh, sort of yeah. coming up to him saying, What's
0: up? I've smoked weed in, in Lafayette Park as well. I may
1: have. I honestly don't I actually have give done it shit.
0: I've done it a lot, in fact. I used to when I used to work at RT, I would walk <laughs> through Lafayette Park on my way home from work every day. Every <laughs> night. And I'd uh I'd chief in the park on my walk home.
1: Yeah, I guess at night it's a little more it's yeah. it's a it's a chill place. Snoop was doing it at like twelve in the afternoon. <laughs> probably surrounded by people and cameras and shit. I have smoked weed on uh Parliament Hill in Ottawa. Hmm. Cool. I I also smoked weed in front of the US Capitol uh when I went to the when when I went to the Washington Capital's uh Stanley Cup celebration parade. <laughs> well, that was just a lawless day in general. Yeah, everyone smoked weed anyway. The team was like they were throwing cans of, like, Bud Light at random people off the bus. It's that pretty fun. I'm trying to imagine any other, any other public event where police would just let you whip cans of beer at people.
0: <laughs> well, we are uh, now living in 2021. Uh, got some exciting news on the Means TV front. Means Morning News Season 2 is debuting next week. We uh, don't have a show this week on Thursday uh we're going to be releasing a a promo we did some video work this weekend uh and we're getting ready for the new season of means morning news premiering next week on thursday you can watch if you're a subscriber over at means.tv and you can become a subscriber of means tv by subscribing to the sentinel over at patreon patreon.com slash district sentinel five bucks a month you get access To all our bonus content, you get your own haiku and you get one month subscription free to Means TV. It's Monday, January 4th, 2021. Here's the news. The U.S. Justice Department suffered a defeat in a London courtroom Monday morning as its request to extradite WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange to the states to face espionage and hacking charges was rejected. It was a good news, bad news ruling from British Judge Vanessa Baritzer, who concurred with all of the Justice Department's arguments supporting Assange's extradition. Troubling precedent for journalistic freedoms, the judge determined that Assange went above and beyond journalistic practice and his crimes fall under the extradition treaty with the United States. However, she did not grant extradition, citing just how abusive the U.S. prison system is and how likely it is that Assange would die in custody. She referred to Assange's mental health and the inability by U.S. jailers to keep suicidal prisoners safe. The judge noted the mysterious death of Jeffrey Epstein in a New York prison last year. Reading from the ruling, quote, I am satisfied that in these harsh conditions, Mr. Assange's mental health would deteriorate causing him to commit suicide with the single-minded determination of his autism spectrum disorder. I find that the mental condition of Mr. Assange is such that it would be oppressive to extradite him to the United States of America, End quote. The U.S. Justice Department has promised to appeal the decision. Assange's lawyers were instructed to prepare for a bail application to have Assange released. Another hearing in the matter is scheduled for Wednesday. Ties between Wall Street and the Democratic
1: Party have come into focus once again, thanks to Janet Yellen's financial disclosures. President-elect Biden's pick to be the next Treasury Secretary, Yellen has recently revealed that she made over $7 million in speaking fees in the last two years from some of the world's largest banks. She was tasked with closely supervising the firms while serving as the chair of the Federal Reserve under President Obama. According to public disclosures, Yellen's audiences included UBS, ING, City National Bank, Standard Chartered, Citigroup, Credit Suisse, BNP Paribas, Bank of America, Barclays, Prudential, and Goldman Sachs. The average payment went into the six figure range. Some of these firms paid Yellen multiple times for her appearances. Citigroup paid her for a total of nine appearances worth just a few thousand dollars short of a cool million. You could start your own fucking small bank with that money. With the exception of Prudential and City National, all of the banks who paid Yellen to speak were considered systemically important while she was chair of the Fed. Under Dodd-Frank, such banks must submit resolution plans, so-called living wills to the Fed and the FDIC, to prove that they can be wound up in an orderly fashion without a bailout during a time of crisis. If the Fed and the FDIC say that a firm's plans aren't credible, the regulators must consider downsizing or breaking up the company. But Yellen was reluctant to even consider such measures, as we're reminded by this exchange he had with Elizabeth Warren in 2014.
2: The statute, it seems to me, is pretty clear here that it's mandatory that these plans be submitted each year and that each year you determine whether or not the plans are credible. And I guess the question I'm asking is, have they ever gotten to a plan that you can say with a straight face is credible? Well, I've understood this to be a process. Um, These these are extremely complex um, documents for these firms to produce. Our second round of submissions um, we're looking at plans that run into tens of thousands of pages, and um, th- that I mean I th- I think what was intended is that this determination you're talking about about whether or not they're credible. Do they fa- question is do they facilitate an orderly resolution, um, and I think we need to give these firms feedback. <laughs> Uh, so, I'll stop there because we're, we're running out of time, but but I have to say, Cherry Allen, I think the language in the statute is pretty clear that you are required, the Fed is required, to call it every year on whether these institutions have a credible plan. And I remind you, there are very effective tools that you have available to you that you can use if those plans are not credible, including forcing these financial institutions to simplify their structure or forcing them to liquidate some of their assets, in other words, break them up.
1: Two years later, Warren would note that in 2014, the FDIC found 11 living will plans not credible,
0: while the Fed gave them all a passing grade. Workers at Google announced their intention to form a union. The Alphabet Workers Union was formed on Monday and is committed to creating solidarity among full-time, part-time, vendor, and contract workers at the tech giant. Alphabet is the official name of the parent company of which Google belongs to. The workers laid out seven values that will guide their organizing effort. They include prioritizing social and economic justice, a workplace free from harassment and discrimination, transparency, democratic decision-making, putting society in the environment above profits and showing solidarity with other organized working people. Google employs about 130,000 people worldwide. And the group claims that over 200 people have already joined their effort. At the time, they're not seeking a formal union contract with Alphabet. Instead, organizers claim that the effort is to forge solidarity to allow for future work stoppages if Google acts against the interests of the union. They did, however, sign cards with the Communication Workers of America. To join, workers will pay dues equivalent to 1% of their salary. It has received the attention of at least one senator. Bernie Sanders tweeted out support for the union, writing, I stand in solidarity with the Alphabet workers who are organizing to form a union at Google. What these workers are fighting for is not radical. They want fair wages in a workplace free from abuse, retaliation, intimidation, and discrimination, and that is exactly what they deserve, end quote. The union cited a dust-up in 2018 between employees and executives at the company over Google's partnership with the Pentagon as an impetus for this latest organizing effort.
1: Yesterday was the one-year anniversary of President Trump ordering the assassination of Iranian General Qasem Soleimani, In a move that almost started a regional war, the Trump administration marked the occasion with some aircraft carrier brinkmanship. The USS Nimitz had been ordered to start leaving the Persian Gulf on Friday, but the decision was reversed yesterday. Acting U.S. Defense Secretary Chris Miller made the announcement alleging the existence of, quote, recent threats issued by Iranian leaders against President Trump and other U.S. government officials. The evidence of such a threat is thin. Reporting from the New York Times indicates that the U.S. military's only proof consists of troop movements by Iran, movements that are likely defensive in nature, given the recent assassination of a top Iranian nuclear scientist, and Trump's vow to inflict damage on Iran before leaving office. The Daily Mail, a far-right British tabloid, tried to report that there is a threat from Iran by citing a tweet from Iranian Foreign Minister Javad Zarif warning the U.S. not to attack. Zarif said on Saturday, quote, new intelligence from Iraq indicates that Israeli agent provocateurs are plotting attacks against Americans, putting an outgoing Trump in a bind with a fake casus belly. Be careful of a trap at real Donald Trump. Any fireworks will backfire badly, particularly against your same BFFs, end of quote. You can say that Zarif is full of it here, but this hardly constitutes a threat, let alone one that requires the dispatching of an aircraft carrier. Tensions remained high today. In the wake of the Nimitz being rerouted, Iran announced that it would be resuming 20% uranium enrichment since President Trump killed the Iran nuclear agreement spearheaded by President Obama, which had previously forbidden Iran to enrich uranium at that level. Also today, Iranian officials seized a South Korean chemical tanker in the Straits of Hormuz, claiming that the vessel was polluting the Persian Gulf. Both Iranian leaders and President-elect Biden have expressed an interest in reviving the nuclear deal killed by President Trump, but it's unclear how serious Biden is about pursuing such a detente. On Sunday, a top foreign policy advisor, Jake Sullivan, claimed on CNN that Iran's ballistic missile program, quote, "...has to be on the table for talks to advance." Iran and the U.S. were able to come to an agreement under President Obama because their deal was narrowly tailored to focus on Iranian nuclear capabilities.
0: Finally, Democratic leadership is already trying to cover up President Trump's efforts to steal the last election. Over the weekend, audio was released of a phone call between Trump and Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger That call took place on Saturday, and during it, Trump repeatedly asked the Secretary of State to commit election fraud on his behalf and to, quote, find more than 11,000 votes that can be counted toward Trump, thus putting him ahead of Biden in the state. Here's a clip from the call.
1: The people of Georgia are angry. The people of the country are angry. And there's nothing wrong with saying that, you know, uh, that you've recalculated. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find... Uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. So so tell me, Brad, what are we going to do? Uh, we won the election, and it's not fair to take it away from us like this.
0: Yeah, what are you going to do, Brad? Well, apparently Brad's going to leak this call to the Washington Post. Now, despite there being Rod Blagojevich levels of self-incrimination in crimes on this call— It's unlikely Trump will face any consequences for it. Member of the House Democratic leadership team Hakeem Jeffries was asked on Monday if Democrats would once again pursue impeachment of the president during his last few weeks in office. Jeffries replied, we're not looking backwards, we're looking forward. The only real fallout from the call might occur tomorrow during the Georgia Senate runoff elections as the feuding between Trump and Republican state officials reach new heights threatening to ruin the GOP's slim majority in the Senate. Following the Tuesday elections, members of the U.S. House and Senate will convene together on Wednesday to officially certify the results of the presidential contest. A number of Republican House and Senate members have committed themselves to challenging the process, including Louis Gohmert and Senator Josh Hawley. Several reactionary organizations in support of Donald Trump's election steal bid, like the Proud Boys, are expected to descend on Washington for the proceedings. A couple other uh, quick things that I saw as uh, we were getting ready to record. Trump's going to give the uh, Medal of Freedom to Devin Nunez for uh, Nunez's work in combating uh, Russiagate. <laughs> uh, and uh, also, there might actually be some, uh, there won't, there probably won't be, but the Fulton County District Attorney said uh, that his office might look into the phone call between Trump and uh, and the Georgia Secretary of State for possible election fraud. Well, you mentioned Rod Blagojevich.
1: Uh, this really does seem like it, it's open and shut. I mean, <laughs> what I'm more worried about than anything is the Justice Department actually coming through with an investigation in an indictment of Trump once he leaves office And then Trump getting pardoned by President Biden, Mm. who's being urged by people like Hakeem Jeffries to look forward, not backward.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's so fucking,
1: (laughs) it's so black and white.
0: Yeah. What the fuck? (laughs) Admitting to doing crime, every time there's, you know, corruption or, or claims of quid pro quo is like, you're like, well, if you look at it, he never actually makes the demand. He never actually says it. Uh, so there can't be any crime. He actually says it in these phone calls. He's actually saying, yo, <laughs> you can recalculate these results. Just find me 11,000 votes, my man. What are you going to do? <laughs> All right. That is the newscast for today. Before we go, we got a poem to read for a new subscriber over at Patreon. What do we got, Sam? This is for Greta. Now the climate
1: girl, a step up from when you were sound of
0: music girl. Thank you, Sam. Back to the name-themed haikus here. Thank you, Greta. Always good for a... Yes, thank you, Greta, for the subscription. And thank you, Sam, for the solid name-based haiku. Uh, We just hope we don't get a... uh,
1: a subscriber tomorrow named Liesel, because I've already used my sound of music
0: joke. <laughs> Patreon.com slash district sentinel. Subscribe today. Get your own haiku. I'm talking to you, Liesel. See, the listener rant line is blinking. Let's uh, let's check that out before we end the show for the day.
3: Sup, fellas. Huster here. I'm at brunch now that the orange Cheeto is out of office, sipping on a Bloody Mary. As have you, apparently, as evidenced by your silence over the past two weeks. And I can say this with confidence, because, as you may recall, that I did indeed predict that 2020 would be worse than 2019. I either called into the show, or more likely wrote on Patreon, moments after Trump assassinated Soleimani on January 3rd, precisely one year ago today. But I'm not here to brag, I'm here to say that, well, there's nothing to worry about. Because the mean tweeting Cheeto is finally out of office. All right, all right, all right.
0: Thanks for the call, Keister. Uh, credit where credit's due. You called it. 2020 would indeed be worse, and it seemed like a pretty bad fucking year. I guess the question is, what uh, What does Keister say about 2021? What do you say, Sam? Thoughts on... Uh, it's binary. Will this be a good year or a bad year?
3: <sighs>
1: My thoughts on this or, are to uh, predict for a bad year. And I would rather predict a bad year and be wrong and and be pleasantly surprised than uh, either predicting a good year and being right or predicting a good year and looking like a dick <laughs> when when the year is even worse than, than last year. Even if it's marginally better than last year, it's still going to suck, right? It's like, so what?
0: You're better than 2020. whoop shit yeah, uh, capitalism is failing, but uh, at least you can go and hang out with other people during it now.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: we we might not even be able to. Have you been reading the news headlines about like fucking nurses in Wisconsin destroying uh, uh vaccines? Yeah. Or, or and and people just like refusing to take them. Obviously, that that's still a thing. I'm not. I'm not too confident. I'm going to be eating in a restaurant in 2021. I got to say, maybe on the patio, but inside,
0: uh, probably not. Two zero two six eight four six one zero eight. Call the rant line. Leave a message. Let us know what you think. 2021 has in store for us. Oh, one good thing about 2021 is I now have an Xbox. Mm.
1: So drop listeners the, the out handle. there. If you, if you want to challenge me to a game of FIFA 21, uh, I already have it. I'm gonna get. I, I have Red Dead too. I'm gonna get the online game. Uh, why, why don't you soon. drop the handle? I will drop the handle. I'm just pulling it up here. There are a few numbers. So the handle is. You know what the numbers are. <laughs> I know what three of the numbers are. I don't know what. Okay, so the handle is Ding Dong Four Twenty Three Nine Seven Five.
0: Oh, damn, they threw on those extra numbers there for no reason. Yeah, I know. Why didn't you add the numbers? Was 420 nine nine eleven already taken? I don't know. I think I can still change it, right? I don't know. Eh, well, who gives a shit anyway? Ding dong 420 3975. Challenge Sam Knight to FIFA. You'll uh you'll beat him like I usually do. What? Oh, <laughs> controversial statement to end the podcast there we're back tomorrow we're here in DC so you don't have to be